Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. One of the things that I've been focused a lot on uh, over the past few years have been ideas around protocols and uh, a bunch of related concepts such as interoperability. Uh, there's one topic that many people often lump in with interoperability and often act as if it's the exact same thing as interoperability, um, though I'd argue there's somewhat different and different in important ways, though it is related. And then there's the concept of data portability, which is the idea that you can pull your data out of one service and hopefully, theoretically, put it into another and make use of it or do other things with that data, uh, as opposed to just having the data completely locked up and inaccessible. A few years back, uh, Google, Facebook, Microsoft and Twitter announced something called the Data Transfer Project, which was designed to in theory, make it easier to get your data out of those services. It was something of a commitment that they were going to make it so that you could get your data out of those services and possibly, in theory, move that data somewhere else. Uh, while I followed some of the announcements about the project over the years, including at one point Apple joining the project, I actually hadn't heard that much about it in a while. And it felt like, at least sort of during the pandemic, that the project had maybe languished a little bit. Um, and uh, it wasn't entirely clear what was happening with it. However, recently there has been some very good news and that the data transfer project seems to have morphed uh, into the data transfer initiative, which, as I understand it, is a new nonprofit that is focused on doing much more around this issue with a new executive director. Chris Riley, who was actually just on this podcast a few months ago to talk about protecting the global open internet. Uh, having the project as an official nonprofit with a team and a leader uh, seems like a big step forward in making it much more useful. So we are excited to have Chris back on the podcast to talk about the initiative and its plans. So Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Good to be here. Good to chat with you. Cool. So uh, I am assuming that most of our listeners won't even necessarily remember the data transfer project if they even knew about it at all. So can you give us kind of the high level overview of what it is, what the initiative is, what you're kind of looking to do with it? Yeah. Under the brand of the data transfer project, a collaboration of companies started to get together in the 2017-2018 era with the goal of building direct data transfer tools. So this is a sort of a technical linkage between the various interfaces that these companies have set up. The interfaces themselves allow users to download their data or to upload data into these services. Now, the tricky part here is that the data is managed and stored and represented in slightly different ways across these services. 
And so the data transfer project was set up as a collaborative effort to help bridge those differences and make it easier for users to actually migrate data and take data that they had contributed to one system and then put a copy of it into another system so that they could keep using it. So there's other benefits from this uh, philosophy and methodology as well. For example, you don't need to depend on your local internet access bandwidth in order to download the data, which could be huge. And if you're on a mobile only connection, incredibly burdensome and problematic, you don't have to store it on your local data. But most importantly, from my perspective, I think you as the user don't have to try to figure out how to cross that technical translational hurdle of taking the data and having it be useful at the other end. The data transfer project was built to close all of these gaps for the users and make this really easier in practice. So over the sort of past five years, since this has really gotten a lot of good news coverage, um, a fair bit of code has been built. Some actual adapters have been put into the wild, but it took until just this week for the community that has been contributing the, to this to up-level the, the version of the open source code base to version 1.0 to recognize the fact that we have real products that are available to billions of people to actually use this technology. So it has been a bit of a quiet buildup. Um, and meanwhile, the world has changed a lot and the need for these tools and for effective data portability has, has grown substantially. So the reason for this effort, which I'm very proud and, and pleased to lead, is a recognition of the fact that while there is good work here already, there is just so much more that could be done. And so this is the first time ever. I mean, it was it was a a recognition that that um, it's worth it to put resources in so that they can be independently and and purely dedicated to this effort. So prior to now, the contributions to this have been. Um, from people who work at uh, tech companies. They've been building pieces that are essentially adjacent to a lot of the products and services they already have. It's been a sort of side of desk thing to build these kinds of tools and dedicated capacity focused specifically on building this connective tissue across data portability interfaces has never really been present until, until now. So I'm excited to see the sort of product future that we can build now that we've put it under this branding of the data transfer initiative. So that branding is, is important to me because it's important that there still be a project. So there is still an open source project. This code, these tools will always be open source. But now we have a new nonprofit organization that can be the shepherd for that, that can be the source of dedicated resources to invest in it. And importantly as well, to, to talk about it, to socialize it more, to evangelize it, not just with, with other businesses that could and should come and be part of this process as well, not just with users to help them see that these things are available, but also with policymakers. Because data portability is increasingly talked about um, as are a number of other governmental interventions, all geared at the same ultimate goal of giving users power and giving users agency in this ecosystem. So I'm excited that we get to contribute and up-level all of these conversations and processes going forward. Yeah, and and I think it's important, and obviously, you know, it it touches on a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about um, around, you know, giving more power to the end users, trying to to in some ways increase competition, uh, not have all data sort of siloed and you know inaccessible for for users and sort of locking in those users, um, and that's why I'm I'm you know I've been interested in it since it was originally launched and and sort of you know to some extent wondering where it was going and was excited to find out, you know, that, that you were going to go and, and up-level it. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think that is really important, but I guess what, you know, sort of what concrete things do you think, you know, what should people be expecting to come out of the, uh, out of the initiative, uh, you know, now that, that this is happening? I think it starts with more products. 
right? The tools that are available today are tools to let you transfer photos and videos and a couple of other types of, of technologies from a couple of different services with each other. And, and while these are services offered to and available to and in use by billions of people around the world, there's still so much more that can be done. So I'm excited about more photo transfer tools. Photo transfer tools are among the most desired things within the market. I'm excited about the new things that we expect to come down the pike over the next few months. There are tools that we're working on for, for transferring music. Playlists in particular is something that we're very excited about, making it easier for you as a user of a streaming music service to transfer playlists that you've built in one service to another. Um, there are lots of hard technical questions under the hood here. Uh, and we're planning to work through them in as, as broad, public and open a fashion as we can, all towards the goal of giving everyday users more, more tools to take data that matters to them to a service that they want to try out and make sure that they really feel like they have that meaningful choice and opportunity. And, you know, I mentioned in the intro that, you know, I sort of look at data portability and interoperability as sort of related concepts that are different, yeah. but are often confused and sort of lumped together. Um, yeah. And and your, you know, this project is more focused on the portability side. I'm curious sort of what's your take on the, you know, on that that difference and, and how much it matters. Yeah, I'm glad you teed that up because it's, it's something that's been a, a really interesting and meaningful subject of a lot of conversations I've been having over the past month or two. Um, I wrote about interoperability for many, many years. I'm a big believer in the value of it. The term interoperability means a few different kinds of things all cobbled together under one brand, which is really kind of challenging. None of these are bad things. They're all good things, but good in different ways and useful in different contexts and at different levels of opportunity. Um, on some sense, what one might call data interoperability is functionally almost identical to data portability, as I use that term. So data portability, as you well put it earlier, is the ability of a user to take their data uh, from one surface to another. Data interoperability is, is somewhat similar in that it's the idea of using your data in a different place from the one that you had originally put it in. That's just semantics and, and sort of details and, and technical uh, thresholds that separate those two terms. Protocol interoperability, in contrast, a fair bit of what you've written about in, in protocols in the past, Mike, and, uh, is, is uh, a, a more of a real-time, everything-speaks-the-same-language kind of a, of, a, of a linkage point. And there's lots of times in which that is in place in the internet and technology stacks today, and plenty of contexts in which it's valuable to build towards that goal in the future. Um, but it's a different use case. So I actually think um, I've, I've gotten a lot of mileage by talking about this music playlists example of two people. Um, interoperability in the context of a streaming music service doesn't really make sense because it's not something where two people are necessarily talking to each other in real time. And so the idea of trying to ensure that things speak the same language doesn't, doesn't resonate in the same way as, as portability does. So portability is where one user is trying to move from one platform to another platform. Interoperability is where two users using different platforms are trying to communicate with each other and exchange in real time um, between those two users. So it's really like paradigmatically different, whether you're talking about two users on different platforms trying to interconnect in some way versus one user who's trying to take their data and shift it from one platform to another. And, and the technical underpinnings to make these real are even more distinct, right? The entire paradigm of the data transfer project is this assumption that data is slightly different in one place than another. And that's a, a very powerful assumption, in particular, in that it allows for each of those places to innovate and to grow and to change. 
And we take on the work of doing the translation to make sure that that data can still be migrated and still be ported. Um, the assumptions are different. The use cases are different um, entirely when you're thinking about interoperability. So it gets back to the idea that when you start at this top level goal of empowering users and helping them be in charge of their data and where it goes and how they can use it, it translates down the tree in a lot of different ways. And each of these needs to be built for at the, at the technical level, especially, um, but also at the policy level, one at a time. I mean, just to ask one question, sort of thinking through like the, the um, you know, the music playlist example, which I think is a yeah. good one to sort of, you know, think about, you know, I, and, and I, I, I'll have to dig it up and I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was a long time ago, you know, maybe a decade ago or more. I had written something about how like the way I think the, the like sort of cloud music space should operate, which it was never going to happen for a variety of reasons, often having to do with copyright was, you know, I wanted a world in which I could upload all the MP3s that I had to some sort of cloud uh, space, and then I could pick and choose which UI I wanted to overlay on it. So if it if I wanted to use, uh, you know, Amazon Music or Spotify or Google Music or whatever, you know, the the names all change or whatever, instead of having to upload the content or you know, have to rely on just the database of songs that that company licensed, I could point it to my my cloud and give it a, a password and say, like, you know, include this in whatever other service you're, you're offering me without having to upload each one. And so that was an area where I thought, like, interoperability kind, kind of thing could could make sense where, yeah. you know, I could use it, the, the interface and I don't have to and I, I would still have sort of a single you know, data storage area and, and could use those, those interfaces with it. So I don't think, you know, I think there are cases where like, even in the music world, I mean, this is just never going to happen because copyright stuff gets in the way of everything and ruins everything. But like conceptually, there are ways that, that interoperability could make sense in like the music playlist world as well. But, you know, I get your point that, you know, just sort of the, the portability of playlists is probably a more practical option at this point. Yeah, I mean, I could I could also see that as a possible technology future. It does depend on a lot of different things. But you, but you're right in that I, I, there, these these uh, situations do flow together a, a bit in many different circumstances. Absolutely. And I, I mean, to to sort of take that point a little bit further, um, and to sort of bring in the stuff that we always discuss, which is the policy angle of it. Right. You know, there there are a lot of these discussions going on right now. Um, where there are sort of, you know, requirements for data portability or some level of interoperability. Um, And again, like, I'm not always sure that the policymakers who are making, I I think most of the policy proposals where these things are showing up are well-meaning and thoughtful and are sort of trying to get at the types of things that we talk about and the importance of giving more power to the end users. But I'm not always sure that they're as well-informed uh, about it in terms of putting these together. And, and, and frankly, I'm not always sure that they understand the differences between portability and interoperability, and they sometimes use those things interchangeably and sort of assume that they're the same. Um, what's what's sort of your take on where the policy discussions on all this are right now 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's been a, an area of quite substantial development over the past few years, including since 2018. I mean, the first sort of major instance of data portability in law and regulation was in the Europe, European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, um, right. which uh, in 2016 embedded in the law an individual user right to data portability. It says users have the right to get to their data and to take it out of a system and to put it into a different system as they see fit. Um, another law was passed last year in Europe, the Digital Markets Act, which expands and complements in some ways on the existing GDPR data portability right by requiring certain designated gatekeepers to make available data portability to users uh, continuously and in real time and to include in scope a, a sort of a potentially slightly broader range of data. Um, as you say, I think the norms in all of these laws are correct. Now, the details of how you turn these things into practice, look, this is a complex system. I don't think it's theoretically possible to articulate all of these details in, in uh, full precision and accuracy, no matter how well-informed or how much time you have. And I, so I sort of, on many levels, respect the ambition of putting something imperfect into the law and sort of trying to build governance structures downstream from that that allow you to figure out how to implement it and come to a good outcome. But without question, a lot of work will come into that implementation stage and in, and in how you hit those trade-offs in the right way. And we haven't even talked about the privacy and security trade-offs that come into this as well, right? You have to think about- That was about my next question. To, absolutely, I'm just, just jumping ahead. I mean, I mean, from our perspective, look, we have pretty well-established principles for how to do data portability in the right way um, at DTI. Protecting privacy and security is a central piece of this, putting users at the center and making sure that this is always a user-centric transaction not something that is done, for example, through government pressure to, to push on user access points as a means of, of circumventing other limitations on government surveillance, not something that is able to be exercised by competitors as a means of sort of leaning on users to try to uh, impose a, a different set of priorities or preferences. This is a very complex system. It's one where a lot of balance is important and where a lot of details come in and, and need to be managed well. So the policy is moving ahead fast. And I think it's why it's so important for so many different stakeholders to pay attention uh, and to help come to the table and be part of these conversations and help try to make the outcomes work well for users and for the ecosystem. Yeah. And, and, and just to sort of like be more explicit about some of, some of the yeah. concerns and, and I've had, I've had this discussion with people where it's like this idea of interoperability in theory and sort of the way I've always presented is like, you know, it's a way to get around the lock-in of the largest players and, and the pushback that some people have pointed out, which I think is something that has to be carefully thought about is that the reverse could happen, which, yes. which is that, you know, a new, yes. a new social media company is doing very well. And then suddenly, you know, so if the concern is like Facebook controls everything. And so we want data portability or interoperability to allow people to get their data out of Facebook. Well, what if, you know, Facebook sees some, some new, you know, uh, you know, we've seen in the past few years, like TikTok has become really big, but you know, whoever else, someone else comes along, Facebook gets scared about it. And they sort of put in place some sort of thing to pressure users to interoperate or port their data from this other service in order to, you know, embrace and extend in the, in this sort right. of Microsoft terminology to sort of suck up all the competitive uses and sort of pull it all into the, the meta verse I guess bad joke no uh so so you know 
thinking through those challenges, I think, is is really important, and is is I assume one of the things that you're sort of considering in terms of how 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 to do this and how to talk to policymakers about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the end goal of ensuring that companies are able to focus on delivering the best possible services is is pretty widely accepted and understood and and really is a, a goal of data portability is if you if you let users effectively move with their feet by moving their data to services that appeal to them you help channel market forces to align with government regulations and their and their uh, the incentives that they create and can and can get to good outcomes that way i think um, promoting innovation is an important part of this as well so another part of your of your scenario here where um, sort of you raise the legitimate concern that solidifying things a bit too much can can create a, an incentive in favor of continued centralization of few services. Like what we want to do to respond to that is encourage Schumpeterian downstream creative destruction and innovation and all of those other terms. And, and we need to figure out how to create a space where users can migrate and also innovation at the edge can continue to flourish. And I think that while that can be done in, in the contexts of both interoperability and, and data portability, the, the toolkit for it and data portability is pretty easy to, to write out, right? Because we have we literally build the tools so that when one service adapts, all you need to do is change the adapter to that service and the rest of the ecosystem continues to provide that fluid ability to migrate data and to transfer it. So it's really easy to see that balance coming into play when you think about data portability in particular. And and I think, you know, again, sort of, sort of the same issue in, you know, in a slightly different perspective and, and, and um, you know, I think that a lot of like the data portability stuff came from people within these larger companies that, um, you know, really had very much the user in mind and that they were looking, they, they didn't Absolutely. want to, to, to be, you know, at these companies that were just sucking in data and, and giving nothing back. And, and the, the original ideas like Google takeout being sort of the, the, the beginning of all of this was very much put in place by a team of folks who, you know, very much had their heart in the right place and were very, very focused on like, you know, we don't want to work for an evil company. We want a company that allows people to access their data, not just just, just suck it all in. That said, uh, you know, I mean, the companies that are involved in this and the companies that are backing you and, and this initiative are the bigger companies um, out there. And so, you know, I think it's worth addressing, like, you know, how, how, you know, how are you dealing with that when there are there, I'm sure there are some people who look at this and just say, you know, there's got to be an ulterior motive and there has to be like, you know, is it just the, the sort of scenario yeah. I described before where this is all really being set up to sort of protect yeah. their, their world from, from new startups and sort of saying like, we're going to, you know, we're going to embrace and extend everything that, that, uh, you know, comes up against us. Yeah. No, I appreciate you you raising that question that directly because I think it's helpful to talk about it on those terms. Um, I have at least a three part response. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll take it one piece at a time. I mean, the Go first and the one one of the ones that's most important to me is that the data transfer initiative is under the U.S. tax code a five hundred one c four. Um, some people think that that means it's a it's a lobby shop or a political action thing. That the, the the what that means under the law is that it's a social welfare organization that's legally obligated to serve a mission. So we have a mission, which is empowering data transfers. We are not notably a 501c6, a trade association. Mm -hmm. So that means that our legal duty is not to serve the consensus of our member organizations, um, even though we have members. It's to serve a mission. 
And by becoming a member of this organization, you agree to that mission. And uh, it also means that on, on a sort of an execution level basis, we are, are not there to try to see consensus or to build things in a collective way. We work hand in hand at arm's length with our members is how I've been phrasing it as a nice way of showing the positive benefits of collaborating with industry while ensuring that day to day all of our operations end up being mission centric. So that gives me gave me a lot of comfort when I was when I was talking to the, the board of directors about this role and I think should give others a lot of comfort and, and sort of baseline context as well. The second thing is conceptually it's a lot easier to uh, imagine as a company being part of an initiative like this when you have a lot of different products that might be relevant to it. It's very important to me to change that paradigm and to find every way possible to bring lots of different sizes and scales of companies into this organization. Now for a smaller company that maybe has one product that has any real significance from a data portability perspective, they may look at this and say, hey, you know, why do we care about the work you're doing on photos? We don't have a photo service. And I wanna be very mindful of that and make sure that, that organizations of all scale and sizes can get value out of taking part in this code base, can get opportunity to access users through the products that matter to them through this service. So that will come, I think, and become much more visible as, as we build out more products and more product verticals, including things that, that frankly don't have any business interest or value to our member companies because there's no reason why we need to be limited strictly to that. We are an independent organization and we have some ideas on that front, in fact, that uh, we'll, we'll think about down the road. Um, and then the third piece, if I can remember what my third one was. Um, <laughs> so I had the 501c4, I had the, we want to have a diversity of organizations. Um, I've forgotten the third. Sorry, <laughs> All right. So, so in, in terms of like the other organizations, like, yeah. You know, it, it, do you have some, and the answer might be no, but like, do you have sort of a process in place or I, I know, you know, you just announced that this, yeah. the, the rollout and, and your job, like, but, but do you have, you know, a setup in place for other smaller organizations to, to join the organization or is that a down the road kind of project? It's a, it's a down the road, but a next step down the road. Okay. I think that the one thing that I know at this point is that we're not going to get it right on the first try. So we're gonna try a couple of different ways of doing this. Um, for some, I will go to companies that I know and people who I know and try to get engineers who work on relevant products together and then say, hey, let's have a call about how we can build an effective migration tool using the data transfer project code base and framework for this topic. I think I mentioned right. browsers earlier is the one that's very front of mind to me, thinking about how you can move browser data from one service to another. Um, I don't know how these things will work, but I think there are conversations that we could start to initiate using this platform, using this forum on a whole bunch of different technology verticals. And some of those will be get some engineers in a room together and brainstorm. Others will be, let's do a public hackathon. Let's have a big open call. Let's have a physical space, a virtual space, both together, where we come together and say, hey, um, maybe we have a couple prompts. Maybe it's, here's a couple different things we're thinking about. Let's see who wants to break off and format, or this is an open field. Who wants to build something else that maybe we haven't thought about? We've got a nice format here and a, and a code base that once you get your head into it, you can really start generating some new ideas pretty quickly. So I want to mix that sort of intentional, here's a thing that I think that we should explore because I can see the user value from it with a, how do we create an open field and really encourage people to come in? And this is uh, part of, I think, the thing that many open source projects have faced, even, even ones that have a sort of a baseline of contribution and resource as ours does, is how do you set up these circumstances to really encourage people to come in 
and build and get value out of that building. And, and no, no open source project has a perfect answer to that. And we have less than most, I would argue, at this stage. Um, but we recognize that the scale of that and the importance of delivering on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I wanted to bring into the conversation also because it's, you know, over the last few months, certainly there's been a lot more interest in things like the Fediverse and Activity Pub. And I know, you know, our listeners might not know, but but you run a, a Mastodon instance um, for, for tech policy folks. Uh, and um, so you're deeply aware of, of how, you know, that goes. And it's been interesting to sort of begin to view the world through this concept of like, you know, how federated services you know, could actually work, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it's, it's become more real than, than theoretical in the past, you know, and a lot of the discussion around data portability for the most part has, has been focused on this world in which most of the data is sort of siloed in these big companies and you're looking at different ways to, to, to port it. I'm wondering in your worldview, you know, how do you think things like the Fediverse and there are other initiatives sort of along those lines as well that we'll see how, you know, what, what comes to them? How, how do you think those things fit in to, together? I think the Fediverse uh, energy that we're seeing now, which I'm very excited by, is a really nice illustration of the empowerment that people can have, right? Like you can really find new communities and new technologies and really jump into them. Um, and it's really compelling to see new opportunities that draw tens of millions of people that don't come from a traditional company or a traditional service and that operate in different ways. I think the, the sky's the limit when you sort of open people's eyes to the possibilities there. And, and uh, it fits into, it just has so many positive externalities to it in large part because people don't feel like they're trapped as much anymore, right? They feel yeah. like they have other things that they can do and other places they can go online and, and to explore. And it's just, it's just incredibly empowering. I mean, I know we're sort of on the, you know, heels of quite a few waves of cycles of fads and technologies, <laughs> right? Like nobody's talking about NFTs anymore. Right. And, and didn't, didn't I just read this morning that Disney wound down its entire metaverse division yes. or something like that? Like, I yeah. think that technology cycles are really at an interesting place right now. Um, and I, I worry that there will be some, some slipping of interest in the metaverse, but, but I don't think so. I don't think so because yeah. I think whole communities are migrating to these platforms. And when you migrate a whole community, it sticks around. Right. Um, I certainly am enthused by the by the interest techpolicy.social, I'll drop the URL for anyone interested, has gathered so far. Um, and the InfoSec community has a really fantastic Mastodon instance where they've really moved over in bulk and, and I follow many of them and it's wonderful to see the dialogues. So look, I'm, I'm excited to see the communities moving. It also, by the way, fits into, I remembered, my third argument ah, for yes. why this isn't just a, a sort of a, of a shallow thing. Um, I deeply believe that that the maybe the single greatest contributor to this ro rising cultural phenomenon often referred to as the tech lash is the belief that users are trapped. When, mm -hmm. when you as a user of technology feel trapped and feel like you're not happy with the world around you and you can't do anything about it, everything else negative spirals from there and you can never be happy. Like no matter what, you can't be happy if you feel trapped in a technology platform that you're using. And I think that more than anything else, data portability is an answer to that. It says yeah. you really aren't trapped. And it's not just a, here's an API you can download your data 
answer. It's a, no, here's where you really can move your stuff answer to it. Yeah. And I think that that is a, a, a place where in, a, in, a, in an ecosystem and a, and a political moment in time, when everybody is just looking to find a way to fight and to find an enemy, this is a place where everybody can come together and agree that this is a good thing. And I think that's a large part of what we're seeing here. And so it's it's like when all of these incentives align, let's let's roll with it and see what we can build. Yeah, and that that actually is a perfect segue into the the next question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, I I sometimes wonder if, you know, and I'm guilty of this in in my own writings as well, that like when I'm focusing on things like data portability or interoperability or all of these things, it's very much focused on sort of like the backend infrastructure, the stuff that other people have to work on. And it's less focused on what does this actually mean for the end user, even if that's like the overall impact and talking about things like empowering the end user so they're not locked in, they don't feel trapped, you know, that, that, you know, you're putting them back in control. You know, I've been wondering a little bit in the back of my head lately about like, is there a better way to present that so that it's, it's, you know, the users who are actually getting excited about this, that you're presenting something, you know, in the form of like why this is so useful or why this is powerful or why this is, you know, should calm the fears or why this should be helpful to the yeah. end users and and sort of pushing it from that side as opposed to more from the back end infrastructure side. Well, it's it's hard because you can never tell users what they want. So there's a <laughs> there's always a bit of a field of dreams thing. I mean, you can do user experience sure. research, you can do user interface design, you can try to both understand what it is that users are looking for and then design things that are um, of, of appeal to them. And there, there's a lot of great work in that space, of course, but uh, to, to sort of write from the perspective of what users want reveals a, an attempted hubris that, that might be far too <laughs> humble to, to claim. Um, and I, 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 mean, I, I would be as well. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to uh, say, that, like, I, I think I'm talking more, not so much in like telling users what they want and, and more in just the, the framing of it and, yeah. and, and the way this is presented yeah. to, to people as in why this is valuable to users as opposed yeah. to the other side. But, but go yeah, ahead. No, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a good point. So where this becomes granular for me and thinking about the roadmap ahead for the data transfer initiative, at the moment, our products are effectively B2B products. Our code powers the back end for service offerings that you access by going to a place where your data lives, like Google, Facebook, or Apple, and then asking it to be transferred, and then it transfers over our tools. There's a more, I think, user-direct version of this where we set up some sort of landing site or interface or app that makes available to users, here's your set of data transfer tools. Now, the countervailing argument there is, Nobody sits around and thinks, gosh, I want to see what my data transfer options are, right? So it's a, it's a little bit of all of the above, and you have to think about right. how to reach users where they feel the need. And, and that's, that's a, it's a tricky trade-off. And again, nobody has the answers to it. But, but I do think there's more that we can do to sort of let people know that you're not trapped. There's a yeah. lot more that we can do for that. And, and far beyond what I'll have the scale to do, but, but I can, this organization will help. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that that makes sense. It's kind of kind of along the lines of, of what I was thinking. So I guess, you know, uh, we've, we've touched a little bit on this, but, you know, w- what do you think, w- you know, what should people be expecting in, in the near or I guess, you know, near and medium yeah. term future from from the initiative? Yeah, well, we want to 
ship some products. So you'll see some more of these tools, more ways for you to directly transfer more types of data from more services uh, into more services. And we want to have some more public conversations around what we should be doing. So some processes, some, some opportunities for, for true collaboration around what the product roadmap should be like and, and ways to really try to bring more people in, uh, whether as members of the organization or as contributors to the open source code base or just people to have a good conversation with. Ways of making sure that we build this brand new organization with as small a blinders as, as possible because every organization has blinders, but we're gonna try to make ours as teeny tiny as they can be. <laughs> and then finally, you're gonna see us engaging in policy conversations because the Digital Markets Act in Europe is on its road towards adoption and implementation. And there are conversations around data portability happening in, in Korea and Japan and a number of other places. And, and my goal is to make uh, the data transfer initiative have a, a seat at every data portability conversation that's happening so that we can bring our experience with helping make data portability real for people uh, into these into these environments and, and help really try to ensure that the regulations achieve the laudable goals that they set out to achieve and not land in inefficient or, or uh, potentially even harmful places. That makes sense. Uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast and uh, my pleasure for you know working on this i'm sure there will be plenty of stuff that that uh we'll be interested in going forward and i'm sure that we will have you back on the podcast maybe not as quickly as, <laughs> as, since we just had you a few months ago but uh, it's always always great to talk to you always great to to hear your thoughts and to discuss this stuff with you uh and so thank you uh, for, for joining the podcast thanks for having me mike always a pleasure and thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week Grab a shovel and dig up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tap. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tap.